1: Well, welcome back. Friday, December 30th, 2022. This will be our last broadcast of the year. Let me give out the phone number. Anyone who wants to weigh in with anything, 602-508-0960, 602-5080-960. We tend uh, often to talk a lot about uh, resolutions this time of year. If you have some interesting ones, uh, that would be great. Listener Mike Uh, wrote me uh, a beautiful thing this morning, and he said I could uh, read it on air if I wanted to, and I want to. Uh, My resolution for the new year, I think, should be an American's resolution. I resolve to remember, to remember I am a citizen of the greatest nation on earth, to remember I am free because of that nation and because of the thousands of men and women who sacrificed to ensure my freedom. To remember I owe a debt to never forget those who fought and died for my freedom. To remember this freedom is mine, mine to cherish or mine to squander. To cherish by being willing to defend it with my heart, body, soul, and life, if need be. To prayerfully ask my Creator to strengthen me in my resolve not to squander it by action or inaction. To remember on a daily basis to give thanks to my creator for the blessings of being born in this particular nation. To remember that this nation is a republic, but it is my republic and my nation. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You know, that's so beautiful, we might want to just do this every last broadcast of every year. He finished with a little postscript. Seth, this is my resolution for the new year and will remain my resolution for the rest of my life. I can't tell you how deeply profound and thankful I feel almost every day of my life that I am an American. I know things aren't perfect and we have problems and issues, but there is literally no other place on earth I would rather be than right here in the United States of America. When I was young, I took it for granted. I will never take it for granted again. I am truly thankful. God bless to you and yours, and may the new year be truly happy and prosperous for you and all of us. You know, a word fitly spoken is what this was, and the reason um, it came at such a good time when he emailed it to, uh, to me this morning. I had just uh, concluded an interview. I was on the other side. I was the interviewee. I was the guest. I was doing an interview uh, from time to time. You know, Bill Bennett has me on his podcast, and we did a year in review. It'll probably go up next week it'll probably post next week and we were doing our dangdest our darndest to be optimistic and i have to tell you we just had a really difficult time it was a very pessimistic year in review and then mike's email came in just after i had hung up or disconnected with bill and thought you know son of a gun i forgot i forgot the thing you know the thing which is all the reasons for optimism in this country, including its great, great people. Uh, that wonderful song of Frank Sinatra's, many, many, many people know it as what is America to me. It's its actually officially titled The House I Live In. It has an interesting pedigree, that, that song. It comes from a movie he did right after World War II, a, a short clip, uh, a short movie, a short film right after World War II frank sinatra did to uh to fight um uh, to expose and to and to fight growing anti-semitism in america that's where that song originated from and he sang it the rest of his career and at the end um the last and final lyrics of sinatra's are but what is america to me most of all the people most of all the people this is a country of yes some losers and yes some downers and dampers but yes, just some great, great people. They are the arsenal of our country. They are the arsenal of our republic and our democracy. They are the mics of this world. And that's the reason to be optimistic at the end of this year and going into next and at the end of every year and going into next. So I just, I just felt so badly about the interview I did with Dr. Bennett until that uh, email from Mike came in. And I could not wait. To share it with you. If you have other resolutions, folks, uh, happy to do them. I always like to think of that one song by uh, T- Tim McGraw. It's about his birthday, 30th birthday. It was a- actually written by Phil Vassar called My Next 30 Years, and I've always thought it was a pretty good—the last parts of those uh, of that song was actually a pretty good set of resolutions as well. I'm going to watch my weight, eat a few more salads, not stay up so late, drink a little lemonade and not so many beers— Maybe I'll remember my next 30 years. Um, My next 30 years will be the best years of my life. Raise a little family. Hang out with my wife. Spend precious moments with the ones that I hold dear. Make up for lost time here in my next 30 years. Yeah, I think spending precious moments with the ones we most hold dear. One of the most ruinous things that took place in our country we did to ourselves. It uh, It was not, as Lincoln said in 1838 and as others have said since, the ruin of America from abroad. Um, It was what we did to ourselves in 2020 that is still having aftershocks and repercussions that we are dealing with. We saw another piece of data coming out of Stanford yesterday on what the cost of learning loss to children will be financially. And it will be in the order of $28 trillion over the next century. $28 trillion. We could wipe out our entire national debt with, uh, with what we did to... To the, to the children in the closing of schools and the learning loss they suffered from there to say nothing of the mental health issues, to say nothing of the rising sub, uh, drug and alcohol abuse, to say nothing about the anxieties, to say nothing about anything else, just the financial aspect of the learning loss, which we were told again and again was a myth and not to be anything concerned about. We did that to ourselves. Our worst problems we do to ourselves, which means... If we're going to solve them, we have to look to ourselves as well. Uh, only we will, uh, only we, we, as Lincoln put it in 1838, uh, can be our destroyer, but only we can uh, be our recompense and medicine and restorer as well. So that's a resolution. And let's not forget that the root of resolution is resolve. Uh, let me say a couple other things in this uh, otherwise cold open, no official monologue for you today. Um uh, something i'm going to do with you a little bit more next year i was reminded of a of a beautiful sentiment of alan blooms we quote him here from time to time he was once upon a time a very f- famous professor at the university of chicago many of you may know him from his best-selling book the closing of the american mind which was a huge um, huge huge book in 1987 and since um he wrote in uh, in one of his books on Rousseau, that the teacher-pupil relationship is as mysterious as the lover-beloved relationship. Isn't that, isn't that a nice sentiment? The teacher-pupil relationship is as mysterious as the lover-beloved relationship. Anyone who had a great teacher, and you know I've mentioned a few of them on air uh, over the years here, anyone who had a great teacher um, can appreciate that notion. Uh, there is something magical to it. And I was going back the last couple of weeks, listening to some old shows from years past where I was interviewing professors that weren't mine, um, that wrote interesting things on literature, wrote some interesting things, particularly on children's literature. One of my favorite interviews uh, over the past several years, it's about four years old now, three or four years old now. Yeah, four. Um, was with a professor of literature at Rutgers University talking about uh, The Wizard of Oz, Frank Baum's book, The Wizard of Oz, and how um, that was the quintessentially and very much the first, first American children's book, first child's book uh, of America uh, for a lot of reasons. And we went into that. and I was thinking about that, thinking about an old literature professor of mine. I didn't know if he was still alive. We agreed on nothing politically, nothing. And yet he opened doors and insights to me with some independent studies I'll never forget in my uh, wanting to take children's literature seriously because I'm fascinated by how children learn. And I reached out uh, to him through an institute that he had founded, and uh, he wrote back. His name is Barry Sanders. And um, delightfully he uh he agreed uh he's uh you know up there now but he agreed he's going to be joining us and we're going to talk about children's literature with him when you find a great teacher when you find a great scholar seize on him seize on her seize on it because i think that too is part of that too is part of our growth understanding that there are people we have to learn from. Dennis Prager likes to point out that one of the most ruinous sentiments of the 60s and 70s was don't trust anyone over 30. Um, The truth of the matter is quite the opposite. Uh, When you find intelligence, when you find smarts, embrace it and cherish it. And in that vein, we'll probably uh, use that as a setup for what I'm going to do in my third hour as well. Okay, we are hitting a commercial break. I am Seth Leibson. 602 is the number, and we'll be right back. Little Phil Vassar there for you. Thank you for that, gentlemen. If you are concerned with stock market volatility, our friends and sponsors at Y-Refi have an opportunity to invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that is not correlated to the stock market. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and there's no loss of principal. If you need your money back at any time, it's a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% ready return. That's up to ten and a quarter Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. Great people. Third hour is going to be a little different, um, but a little bit in the vein of what I was just talking about—honoring um, great teachers and learning um, what great teachers have to offer. I—I uh, I was um, as a as a—I don't know. I must maybe I was in high school when I started paying attention to a um, a professor at the University of Southern California. He was a professor of. Uh, Education. He had his doctorate, his PhD in in uh, education, with a special attentiveness to children with disabilities, uh, or what you might call special needs. And he then went on to run uh, a school in California for uh, children with special needs, and wrote the first textbook uh, on uh, uh, the first clinical textbook on how to uh, race. Children uh, with disabilities. It was called the disabled and their parents. His name was Leo Buscaglia B U S C A G L I A, and he left that school to become a, a professor of education at the University of Southern California, and had a uh, did two very interesting uh, two very interesting things that put him into prominence. One was he was he was fascinated by how other societies viewed death. So he he traveled the world to learn about that. He traveled the world to learn about how other cultures view the passing of life, and came back and wrote a, a book about that. Um, but what probably defined his career even more was an experience he had with a student in um, in his classroom at USC who was one of his brightest, best and brightest students. Uh, she was a young girl, 21 or two, or something like that, and always giving some of the best feedback, always locking in with her eyes, always s- submitting the most interesting of papers to him. And he noticed that um, uh, she started not showing up to class. And after a few, uh, a few days of her missing class, she asked, uh, he asked, uh, Professor Buscalia asked uh, the students that usually sat around her what, what what they knew about where she might be, and they didn't know anything. They, they had hardly even noticed she was gone. So we went to the dean and asked the dean uh, whatever became of so-and-so, and the dean said, um, I'm sorry uh, to tell you, um, this young girl uh, drove her car to the... Uh, the, uh, Pacific Palisades, and um, volitionally got out of it and walked over and sent herself over the cliffs, and that so shook as it would anyone, Doctor Buscaglia, that he he committed the rest of his teaching career and public lecturing on um, on on the issue of of love and loving your fellow human being, and something that is a big topic around here and was a big topic, I think, also around the COVID time, the time of lockdowns and shutdowns, which is loneliness. Uh, It's a big topic I raised with Steve Moak Jr. when he was here with us last week about the holiday season and how it can be a time and should be a time of great celebration. But for a lot of people, it's a time of great and tremendous struggle and challenge anyway I was so taken by the very first public lecture I saw of Buscoglias back when I think I was in high school when I first discovered his work he used to give talks on on public television um, that I I just I, I went and ended up reading every every single thing he ever wrote and uh, working out the other day I was listening to uh, a lecture of his uh, again he passed some years ago so it was an old lecture of his and in listening to it I thought my Gosh, what a great message for the new year! What a great message to give to the audience for the new year, um, going into twenty twenty three. So, in my third hour, uh, I hope you'll enjoy it. It, it. It's, as I say, a little bit different. It's, I think, completely apolitical, um, but it's, it's, it's different, um, and it's, uh, it's insightful, I think, and I hope you enjoy it. Anyway, my tribute um, to a great teacher and uh, to a great message, and really, hopefully, if accepted to y'all in the message I was uh, hoping to convey to you for the new year. Okay, that having been said, uh, and that having been primed, um, January we talk about is based on the name of the uh, Roman god Janus, who looks forward and backward. Uh, Looking forward and backward, um, we do have brand new news if you haven't heard uh, a terrible story with perhaps some dose, some small, 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 meager uh, measure of uh, justice attaching to it. That horrible story that we learned of those uh, four, uh, those four uh, slain uh, college students in Idaho, the, an arrest has been made. Uh, obviously a terrible news story, but if I can say it that way, perhaps a small, small measure a small, small dose of justice as we close out the year with this arrest. So I just wanted to give you that. That seems to be the breaking news all over the place. The uh, news before that was that Donald Trump's tax returns uh, were uh, finally released to the public. Um, this is an in, this is an insane thing to me um, that 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 anyone's tax returns can be released to the public. But you know. With Donald Trump, all the old rules were were thrown out, all the norms were broken, um, and not by him, as the line would go, um, but really by those who were after him. And interestingly, I went to the New York Times. Key takeaways from Trump's tax returns: If they're looking for something awful here, maybe they don't know what awful is. Uh, it's it's really quite amazing to me. Um, they're trying to do a hit piece on him, um, and yet. It looks to me like this is a man of pretty vast generosity. Um, He gave almost $2 million to charity in 2017 and over $1 million in 2018 and 2019 to charity. Uh, How this can be seen as anything but positive, I guess we can leave to the Democrats and the New York Times But if you show me a president of the United States or anyone who gave uh, something like, what, two, three, four million dollars to, yeah, three, four million dollars away in charity over the course of four years. I'd say that man deserves to be saluted, not rebuked. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. At the start of this year, you could invest in almost anything and make money. The stock market was growing. Real estate was high. Crypto was all the rage. And here we are. <laughs> 2023 is going to be a year of uh, economic, shall we say, at least nervousness, if not upheaval, according to many economists. And the Biden administration is pressing ahead with its leftist agenda, ignoring not only the growing signs of a recession, but inflation as well. Which is why I recommend calling the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to safeguard your investments, some of them anyway, and your money with uh, the stability of gold. Gold holds its value when economies fail, guarding against the ravages of inflation and the ruin of a recession. Talk with the good folks at the Midas Gold Group. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. Or better yet, give them a call at 480-360-3000. That's 480 360 3,000, just great people, uh, really good folks. Um, I uh, Let's see here. Yes, this, this is an incredible story to me. Um, I saw this via Fox News, but it really comes out of the Washington Post. Jonathan Capehart over at the Washington Post did, a, uh, did an interview, an uh, end-of-the-year interview with Vice President Kamala Harris, Uh, And she's complaining about not getting good news coverage. She's complaining that uh, this this is an amazing quote. Uh, This is an amazing quote. There are things this is her telling Jonathan Capehart at The Washington Post. This is she telling Jonathan Capehart at The Washington Post, quote, there are things that I've done as vice president that fully demonstrate the strength of my leadership as vice president that have not received the kind of coverage that I think the Dobbs decision did receive. Dobbs, of course, was the Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. Kennedy over on Fox News said, She's mad that a landmark once-in-a-generation Supreme Court case got more coverage than the fact that she was such an unlikable boss. May have been her worst answer of 2022, uh, one, of the, one of the hosts on The Five said. Harris has faced harsh criticism from her many staffing exoduses and her penchant for word salad comments. Uh, primarily, she has received backlash over her handling of the border, despite being put in charge of tackling that crisis. Uh, One host said she's simply not fit for this job. She's not doing it well. And you don't have to go much further than the president himself, who said she's a work in progress when it comes to this job. If Joe Biden, a work in progress himself after being in politics for 50 years, says that about you, that's not a good sign. Uh, The only uh, Nicole Sapphire, Sapphire said the only thing that she has really done better at this year is giving more gaffes. Then President Biden. It really is incredible to complain that she didn't get as much attention as the Dobbs decision. The Dobbs decision changed almost everything, changed almost everything. It was so monumental. If you are a pro-lifer, uh, as I am, uh, this is a decision that you should look back on as one of the good signs of this past year. Um, this is something the, the pro-life movement has been working on for over a generation, and people thought it would never Roe v.ersus Wade be overturned, and uh, son of a gun, they got it done. Um, this should be a mark of good news. It is a mark of some sadness to me, a little bit of, uh, yeah, there's a word I'm looking for, a, a little lacrimal view I have of how so many conservatives ran away from it, how so many um, were afraid of it. And I maintain that it wasn't as responsible for our lack in a red tidal wave as was Republican candidates who had trimmed on that message about it and ran from it um, and conceded and surrendered To the leftist narrative of what the Dobbs decision stood for. If you support abortion rights into the second trimester, never mind just the first trimester, the Dobbs decision gave that to you. I don't understand why so many conservatives felt that their fingers would get burned if they pointed that out. For when you pull on this issue of abortion, I get it. It's a very, I more than get it. It's a very, it's a very tendentious and tender issue, but if you poll on it and you say, well, would you agree um, Would you agree to uh, restrictions that still allow you to get an abortion into the second trimester or at least into the first couple of weeks of the second trimester, the overwhelming majority, 70-plus percent of the people, say yes, that is what the Dobbs decision handed to them, at least that ability. It's certainly what the Arizona law was. Why we ran and cowered from that and conceded the point to the left is more Explanatory than the Dobbs decision itself for where people said abortion was an issue in voting for Democrats. Okay, Uh, we will be right back. Portions of this show brought to you by our good friends at Y Refi. They have the opportunity to invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, and it's not tied to the stock. Market It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. Your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, and there are no fees. It's a secure collateralized portfolio, yields an up to 10.25% rate of return, 10 and a quarter percent. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888 y 34 888 888-Y-REFI-34. 34. Uh, something light and something serious. On the light note, uh, we uh, this year were joined uh, with an associate producer, David Dahl. And many of you know the mystery of the last couple of weeks was he gave me a Christmas present that I didn't want to unwrap because it was so beautifully wrapped with uh, memorabilia from uh, 1972. Including, you know, articles about Richard Nixon, pictures of uh, Spiro Agnew with John Wayne, and a column by William Buckley. And uh, I I didn't want to open it. It was so beautifully wrapped. And I I was showing it to our buddy Hugh Hallman, and he said, you have got to open this thing. You have got to see what's in it. Um, You cannot let uh, the wrapping be more important than the present. And... um, So he and I gingerly took an X-Acto knife and tried to preserve as best we could the wrapping. And son of a gun, what was yielded was a beautiful gift. So thank you to David Dahl. To end the mystery, it was a 1974 pristine, I think unopened uh, album, record, LP, by Linda Ronstadt, her 1974 Heart Like a Wheel album. And uh, the reason that uh, David gave it to me is very clear if you uh, know these soundtracks or if you knew the soundtrack or as I did. If you uh, knew that one of the songs on there is one of uh, one of my favorite songs, uh, a song originally done by Little Feet, a song called Willin, W-I-L-L-I-N apostrophe like willing, but will in. And uh, it's been covered by others, but it was originally done by Little Feet. And she did a great, great cover of it. And um, David was asking me one night uh, as he was getting to know me. You know, songs, music he should listen to, songs that I think are all-time greats. And I said, you got to listen to Willen. There's a lot in that song. And um, I'm not the only one who thinks it's an important song. I, I learned about it myself from a television series about musical roadies and experts um, on, the mus- on the rock and roll road. But anyway, that is, the, um, that is the answer to the great mystery of the last several weeks uh it was the Linda Ronstadt album with the song Willin' on it which is why David gave it to me so thank you very much for it David i have to tell you once i did open it and preserve the 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 wrapping i got to read the entirety of that William Buckley column from uh, 1972 and it was a d- distillation on um George McGovern who was obviously running for president that year as the democrat and um it was a take on i guess there was a lot of chatter in those days that we, uh that uh, did, did i say his name wrong george mcgovern did i say his name wrong anyway th- that george mcgovern was a um was a very decent man one of the most decent men in politics and buckley took that on in his column with a series of quotes uh showing uh the um the um acerbic shall we say or bitter uh, tone of many things McGovern said when he was talking about conservatives. Yes, uh, as as um, if he were talking about liberals or Democrats, he could be decent. Um, and, and to them, that means he's a decent man. But if he was talking about conservatives or conservative positions, his tone was quite different. And uh, in true William Buckley fashion, the last line of that column—you uh, can check me on the break if I'm wrong on this, uh, David— um, but the last line of that column uh, from William Buckley, in typical Buckley fashion, is: "No, given George McGovern's many animadversions, he is not a decent man." In that classic Buckley, given George McGovern's many animadversions, that's just what you want from someone like William Buckley, another you know person, scholar. Teacher, um, to embrace and reread and reread and reread, or listen to uh, a lot of uh, a lot of his uh, television shows, Firing Line, and other lectures are available online, uh, blessedly through the internet. And I, I worry about us de- uh, tossing out, defenestrating too many of our great giant oaks of yore, because there is a lot to learn from them, even even still. The uh that was that slightly light note there, or lighter than what I'm about to talk about, uh which is an important piece and power line by John Hinderocker, why free speech is important. Um, before I get to it, David, did I get that mostly right? Did I have any did I leave anything out in that story? It was absolutely great, Seth. I'm glad you mentioned it. I was looking at the liner notes, or I, I think they're called liner notes on that LP. I was looking at um The credits, maybe it was more the credits than liner notes, and I noticed that Andrew Gold was mentioned as collaborative on that album, helping with the production and playing backup on on a few. uh, I think backup keyboards on a few songs, and uh, it's funny those great musicians from the seventies. There was a lot of cross pollination. Even the Eagles came out of Linda Ronstadt. but Andrew Gold, we play some of his music here. The most famous one, I think, is Lonely Boy, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, What a Lonely Boy. That was Andrew Gold's big, big hit, and he's on that album. Just fun to see the music uh, collaborations of the 70s. You know, these people who are famous in their own right that just kind of step in to help out a, fa- a friend or a fellow artist on their own recordings. I um, The other song, as many of you know, that that I think is the greatest is um, Southern Cross by Stephen Stills, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And I've loved that song, and it has been my all-time favorite song since college. I only learned this year, speaking of cross-pollination, I only learned this year on the recording um, that anyone would ever hear, um, uh, uh, Crosby, David Crosby, is not doing backup on that song. He is not singing on that song. He was too inebriated to show up for the studio session. So they... um, they called a friend of theirs to help fill in and sing for his part. Do you know who that is? Have I done this? That friend of theirs, if you listen to that song, singing back up in the chorus is one Art Garfunkel, arguably an even better artist than David Crosby of Simon and Garfunkel. I only learned that. I've known that song for years and years and years. I only learned that this year. John Hinderocker's piece at Powerline, Why Free Speech is Important. We talk about speech and we talk about it as a value, if not a constitutional right, but we don't often tie it to how important we should value it, how important it is. It's a matter of life and death. It can be, I should say, a matter of life and death. And when we come back I'll talk about why that is the case. Um, as we go to break, did I put in a word for our sponsors at Y-Refi? In case I didn't, they have an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return up to 10.25%, 10 and a quarter percent And it's not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. It's a secure, collateralized portfolio. And you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y, dot com. Or give them a call at 888 Yrefi 34 That's 888 Yrefi 34 It's a due diligence approved firm. They're great people. And uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's not Tucson to Tucumcari or Tehachapi or Tonopava. That's pretty good, the money man right there. I was talking about the importance of free speech. It can be a matter of life and death. As John Hinderocker puts it in the Powerline blog, important that you read it. We have just lived through a respiratory virus epidemic, and many are wondering, why did our government and the social media platforms block any intelligent discussion of the virus that was making its way around the globe? In an ideal world, doctors would communicate would communicate freely about treatments for a new disease that they have tried and how and under what circumstances then and what under what circumstances those treatments have succeeded or failed this is called the scientific method but the scientific method has not prevailed over the last few years instead the public square has been dominated by government dictated dogma that often turned out to be wrong the result was that many people died needlessly while a far larger number, young people, for the most part, had their lives blighted by irrational government action. So what did the data actually show about the COVID epidemic and about the means that have been taken to combat it? First, some have argued that anti-COVID vaccines have caused serious health problems. Some have even claimed that the vaccines are part of a plan to reduce the Earth's population to sustainable levels, but there's no evidence for this. The most current data on the vaccine's safety is located here, and he puts in a hyperlink. Uh, The link study addressed people over 65 who were the most at risk, and that's worth reading. Hinderocker goes on, and then we have the question of how COVID should be treated. A variety of treatments emerged while the COVID virus was raging. They included hydroxychloroquine and others, like ivermectin. Liberals denounced ivermectin as horse dewormer or animal medicine, even though it had been approved by the FDA for human use. It turns out, as the studies have now shown, ivermectin was safe and effective. And he goes into that study. Then he says, but the Biden administration, the FBI and the liberal social media behemoths viciously suppressed online discussions of all of these issues. How threatening is the cold virus actually? Do the vaccines work? Do the vaccines cause serious side effects? What treatments are available and how effective are they? Does hydroxychloroquine work? Does ivermectin work? What else might work? Openly debating these issues and bringing forth new data to shed light on them is the essence of the scientific method. But science was suppressed by the left, which effectively shut down debate on the most vital issues relating to the epidemic. This is a lesson that we should never forget. There is a reason why free speech is important. If you want to get the right answers to a question, the best approach is to open it wide and let competing views fight it out. People have known this for thousands of years, and the ancient wisdom is enshrined in our Constitution, yet entrenched interests are always opposed to free speech. The critical value of freedom needs to be rediscovered in each generation. Maybe next year will be the start of that year. Pete Peterson coming up. Don't go away. We'll be right back